0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Why don't we go ahead and find our seats and we will get started here today? Well, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. A lot of people traveling. Fortunately, a lot of people are uh, sick this time of year, so we can uh, bear with one another as we endure these things, but I'm so thankful that we're gathered here today, and I'm so glad that you guys can be here. It's good to have a few days off to eat well and uh, maybe sleep a little more. Um, I know I did that, so I'm going to get back into the rhythm tomorrow, hopefully. Um, We are in the book of 1 John, and so if you have a Bible, grab that and turn to chapter 3 of 1 John. If you're new here, I'm Zach, I'm one of the pastors, and I'd love to meet you if you're new, and I'm so thankful that you're here. We do Q&A sometimes after our our preaching, and so if you want to ask a question that I can answer after the sermon or maybe later in the week via um, different mediums of communication we have at the Vine, feel free to scan that right now on your phone. Save it on your phone for future reference. And also, you can go to the important channel on Slack, and there's a link right there as well if you're not a fan of the QR code. So please consider that. We'd love to engage with you in any questions you might have with the sermon this morning, what God says in his word. We're starting in... uh, Verse 11, we're finishing up, actually we're not, we're going through verse 18, we'll finish up 1 John 3 next week. And so we're starting in verse 11 of chapter 3 of 1 John this morning. Let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that your name would be known, that it would be hallowed this morning, that it would be seen as holy. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, Lord, today the, the needs that we have. We pray you provide for our needs. We trust you that you will care for us because you say that even the hairs of our head are numbered. You know us. You know our needs. Father, we pray that you forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those that, that trespass against us that sin against us. May we be people of forgiveness in light of how we've been forgiven. Lord, we pray you deliver us from evil. We thank you for the fact that your cross and empty tomb have overcome the darkness of evil. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, amen. So, verse 11 of chapter 3 of 1 John says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. So what's the message? It's this. That we should love one another. That we should love one another. So he's talking about the church here. He's writing to an ancient church, an ancient gathering of believers and he wants them to really work hard at what? At loving each other. At loving each other. This is his main thesis. This is his main line of thinking this morning in our text. Loving relationships, and we're going to define what that means in a little bit, but loving relationships are everything in the church. What did Paul say? He said, if I could have faith that moves mountains but have not love, it's worthless. If I can sing with the tongues of angels, but have not love, that singing is worthless, right? Love is everything. And John says this over and over in this book that we're going to see. He repeats himself a lot for the sake of emphasis. And today, what he's going to show us is there's a stark contrast between love and hate when it comes to our relationships in the church. Love is necessary in the church, in our relationships, and hatred is like murder. Hatred of one another in the church is like murder. So here's the main point this morning. John wants us to see that if we have love for people in our church family, it should contribute to your sense of assurance of salvation. Let me say that again. John wants us to see that if we have love for people in our church family, it should contribute to our assurance of salvation. But the opposite is also true. If we have hatred in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters, you might not have assurance of salvation. He says it stronger than that. He says you don't have assurance of salvation. So that's the main point this morning. Love for our brothers and sisters leads to assurance of salvation. Hatred for our brothers and sisters leads to no assurance of salvation, okay? We're going to see that fleshed out this morning. Let's see how he, how he sets this up. I'm going to start in verse 11 again so you can feel the contrast, then we'll read verse 12. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Simple, right? Now the opposite, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Now some of you might be new to your Bibles this morning, and that's 100% okay, and we're so glad that you're here. You should never be ashamed for not maybe knowing where a book of the Bible is in the Bible or knowing an Old Testament story or something like that. We're all in process in terms of our understanding of the scriptures. So if you hear him name-dropping uh, Cain here, and you're like, what is that? That's okay. It's okay. So let me let me tell you. Let me give you the Old Testament background here. John is referring to the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis, and Adam and Eve, and God's first created human beings, and they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And they both, there's, there's a... Um, a story in the Old Testament where they both offer sacrifices to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice and only Abel's sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice is rejected, probably due to Cain's wrongdoing, evil or false motives, and Abel had sincere faith. That's what the book of Hebrews says. So God rejected Cain's sacrifice, and this depressed him, this angered him. And what happened? It stirred up envy in his heart towards his brother. And he took out his envious anger on Abel by brutally murdering him. And John is drawing a connection. See in verse 12? He's saying that a lack of love for our brothers and sisters in the church can lead to hatred, which is like having a murderous impulse. Imagine that. A murderous impulse in the local church. So again, John is setting up this stark contrast, very black and white, like he loves to do. There's on the one hand, love in the church family That's so vital to our assurance of salvation. And on the other hand, is hatred in the church family, which is like Cain hating Abel, leading to kill him. This hatred led to murder and chaos in the original family of God. See that. Now let's look at how he sets this up. We're going to jump to verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Again, contrast, it's one or the other, right? You see that? Look at the word know in 14. We know. What do we know? We know that we passed from death into life. That's assurance of salvation, right? So when we love each other, it should lead to assurance of salvation. We know we have passed out of death into life. How do I know that, John? He answers, because, look at it in verse 14, because we love brothers and sisters in the the church family. See that? See the connection? Knowing, assurance of salvation, having confidence that you're a genuine Christian, flows from loving. Knowing, or assurance, flows from loving relationships, evidence of loving relationships in the family of God. See, see that there? Do we love one another? Knowing you're a Christian comes from the love you display for others in the church. We No. He's not waffling there. It's like settled knowledge. He's not saying we kind of know or we sort of know or we might know. No, he just says we know. Settled knowledge. If you see genuine love for others in the family of God, the church, this should contribute to your assurance of salvation. He He doesn't balk at that. He doesn't hesitate at that. But if there's hatred in your heart towards others in the family of God, don't assume you're a genuine Christian. Keep reading. Look at verse 15. This is what he says. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So hatred and murder are linked. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he's got Cain on the mind here, right? He just talked about Cain. Hatred is like murder. Jesus said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. James uh, talked about that this morning as he was leading us. Jesus said the exact same thing. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But Jesus says, I say to you, if you hate your brother or sister, it's just the same as murdering them. Like, hatred cannot exist in the same space as the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you have hatred in your heart, what does he say in verse 15? Look at it. You don't have eternal life abiding in you. So you see what John's doing here? John wants us to see that if we have love for our church family, it should contribute to our assurance of salvation. If we have hatred, no assurance of salvation. P- pretty simple. In keeping consistent with what John does, he's, he lays it out in black and white terms. But let's, let's talk about this concept of hatred for a second. Some of us might read this and be like, John, it's just a little too black and white. It might sound a little harsh. Like, do Christians really hate each other? Like, hate? Like, I hate you. Like, that's a strong statement. I don't know about y'all, but like, I don't hear that get thrown around very much in my relationships. Praise God. But here's the thing. Have not, has not our recent history in the local church showed us that this kind of thing is really possible, right? Has not the last two years of COVID convictions and political convictions and, and racial convictions led to some serious hatred in the church in our nation? It has. Like, praise God, it didn't happen much in our, in our local body here, in our family here, as far as I know. And I'm so thankful for that. But it happened a lot nationwide. It happened in households a lot, or extended biological families a lot. I have pastor friends that can tell these stories of their churches divided, divided, Because my COVID convictions were stronger than my Christian convictions. My political convictions were here, and my Christian convictions were here. And that turned into division that looked a lot like hatred. Like, how how could you possibly believe that? We say to one another on secondary issues. So if we look at John and go, does it really like hatred? Does that really happen? Well, thankfully, it's not in my experience a ton. In a, in a black and white, like, I hate you kind of way, it does happen in churches. Tragically, some of you have experienced this. But we are susceptible to it. The human heart is very, very capable, even if this didn't happen much around here in the last two years. But but consider the other side of the coin, where it's not like this blatant I hate you kind of thing and just angry yelling at each other and just this kind of overt hatred that divides churches. Maybe it's not that. And personally, like I said, I haven't experienced that much in the local church, thankfully. Certainly there's been conflicts. But but raw hate, as as John outlines here, haven't experienced much of it. But that doesn't mean that, again, we shouldn't be on guard or take this seriously as a possibility, right? That doesn't mean it's not a temptation. Because here how, here's how it always happens. It starts with small annoyances, right? That kind of go unchecked. And that can turn into bitterness, and bitterness over time can lead to hatred, real hatred, if we're not careful. This happens in marriages all the time. Like, there's a reason why we have the term the seven-year itch in marriage. Because it's the cliche, but it's true. A lot of times it takes about seven years for, for, for a man and a woman in the same house to be like, that's it. Can't do it anymore. And that that turns into like a loathing, a hatred That leads to divorce. Same thing can happen in churches. That's why us dealing with hurt, confusion in relationships, maybe a a phrase that was said that you just didn't really understand. That's why we have to deal with these things in order that hate doesn't take root in our relationships that leads to division. Remember, I think I brought this up last week or two weeks ago, and a lot of you heard me say this over and over again, I'm going to keep saying it. We don't talk about the person. We talk to the person, right? We talk to the person that has hurt us or maybe sinned against us. We don't go talk about that person. We we, we don't deal with conflicts. I mean, we do deal with conflicts. We don't just bury stuff, right? Because if we do that, Just like the seven-year itch in marriages, if you just bury it, bury it, there's going to come a point when the cork pops off the bottle and it's explosive. It can easily merge into verse 15 in our churches. It happens in marriages, it happens in roommate situations, it happens in the workplace with bosses, coworkers. Anytime there's relationships, this potential for hatred is possible So we go and we talk to that person with truthfulness and with gentleness. And that was going to help us keep this verse 15, hatred at bay that John is writing about. Now, listen, it doesn't always go well 100% of the time. But in my experience, about 95% of the time it does. That's a pretty good batting average, right? When you go with gentleness and truthfulness... Almost 95% of the time, it goes really well, and it makes us stronger, right? So if we're going to keep hatred at bay in our local church, like John is advocating for here, what that implies is we're going to have to work at it. Every single marriage implies work. If you want to have healthy relationships in the office, that might imply some work, some intentionality right? Loving the person enough to go and talk to them. Verse 15, look at it with me. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now the opposite from John again, let's go back to love. Let's go back to love. Hatred back to love. Now John is going to help us Put some definition on what he means by love. Look at verse 16. By this we know love. So he's going to define it for us that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Let me read it again. By this we know, again, he's talking about knowledge. You can know that you have assurance of salvation. You can also know what real love looks like. By this, we know love. We have knowledge of what true love looks like. By what? By this? By what, John? That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for the church family. So in our culture, what's hard here is we use the word love in so many different ways, right? Right? Like I love my dog. I love my wife and kids. I love eating like crazy on Thanksgiving Day. I love people in the sense of being nice to them or being cordial with them. I love my city, Madison. I love having a truck. It's really handy. And all of these phrases use the word love, but we all know that I don't mean love in exactly the same way. So what does love look like ultimately in real life? And John wants us to have a clear definition of what Christian love in the family of God, in the church, looks like. He says it looks like laying down your life. Because Jesus did it, and he is our trailblazer, he is our model, he is our example, we do the same. He's saying, you want to know what true Christian love looks like? It looks like death for the sake of love. It looks like sacrifice of yourself for the sake of blessing others. Is this not the heart of the gospel, right? God laying down himself for the sake of love? Love looks like laying down your life. Since Jesus did this for us, we model that we know this, appreciate this, cherish this by showing that it's changed our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, by laying down our lives for one another. And this is where I think the church really has the opportunity for an onlooking world to, to sit up and take notice. For an onlooking world to look at the church and go, I may not really appreciate all of their values, but there's something unique about those Christian people. Like, you know how so many of our famous stories, like every culture tells stories, you know, and, and we tell stories in our culture, a lot of the time through the movies that we produce. And so many movies that you guys have all watched has the hero doing what? Sacrificing himself for others. It happens all over the time all, 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 all the time in movies. It's too many movies to list. But the reason why so many movies have this as, as their main storyline is because it's an echo of the truest and best story. It's not just a story, it's history, It's actual history. And John wants us to model this, this best story with one another. Like the, the world, the, the onlooking world that doesn't know Jesus can be nice. Everybody can be nice. Everybody can be polite. Everybody can be cordial. It doesn't take the power of the Holy Spirit to just be nice, niceness doesn't cause anybody to like look at our church and go wow those people are amazing there's something unique among them but it's when we serve one another at the expense of ourselves that's unique when it's a true sacrifice that's unique. There's a really big difference between being nice and actually laying down your life. And when you have a community of people that have that as a conviction that do that reciprocally, that's when church gets really beautiful. That's when you want to be a part of that organization. When a group of people see Jesus on the cross and you see they, they see the empty tomb, And they're so changed by that that they have to treat each other with the same kind of love. That's when community gets beautiful. Now, listen. Most of us probably won't have the opportunity to be like the real life movie hero in in someone else's life. Like maybe you'll have. I mean, God forbid this would be beautiful and tragic at the same time. Like maybe you take a bullet for somebody someday right? That's the ultimate form of what John is talking about here. Or maybe like you donate a kidney and tragically you die in surgery and the person who gets your kidney, they live. And it's like the ultimate sacrifice. That's the ultimate picture of maybe what John is talking about here. But those situations are pretty rare, right? I don't know anybody in my life that's experienced either one of those. But where can we lay down our lives for one another? Where do we lay down our lives for one another? It's happening in our community all the time. And it's beautiful. I hope you notice it. It really is beautiful. It's when we advocate for one another when it comes to needs that we have. We, we have a needs channel on Slack. If you're not on Slack, I encourage you to sign up for Slack. It's the main way we communicate here at the church. There's a needs channel, and we see communication happening there where, where people in the family of God are serving one another, going out of their way, using their time or resources to serve one another. It's beautiful. It's happening. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit among us. That's evidence of the, that you should have assurance of salvation. It, it's loving and serving those with unique physical needs. Maybe someone needs a ride. It's practicing hospitality on a consistent basis. Like making a meal for somebody might not feel like that big of a deal, but it's a form of giving and it communicates I love you. It is a form of sacrifice. It's easier just to feed yourself or just your household family than to feed another household into your household, right? It's serving the parent that might be at wit's end. And we see this happening. Hey, I'm going to take your kids so you and your wife or you and your husband can go on a date night. It's it's stopping to listen to someone when you feel like you've got more important things to do. And this type of thing is exactly how John wraps up his section here. He says it doesn't have to always be taking a bullet for someone. Jesus is the ultimate model of that but you can serve in lesser ways and still know that you have genuine love for people that leads to your assurance of salvation, right? He moves from Jesus' cross to just simple day-to-day stuff, right? Verse 17, look at it with me. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, so he's talking about the local church, your brother and sister, family of God, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So this happens in, in informal ways in our church. We see it, but it also happens in formal ways. Do you guys know that we have a benevolence fund at the church? You can d- give directly to the benevolence fund at our church, and we've used that from day one of the church, 12 and a half years, to serve people in our body that have needs. And there's if you have a need, you can fill out a form, and there's a team of people that will work with you on that. But just know that like what he's talking about here, we're structured to live out verse 17 as a church in a formal way. Now, there's a lot of informal ways that happen through city groups and relationships, and both are good. Formal and informal are both really good. And it's happening among us. May it continue, verse 17. But look finally at verse 18. And this has always been God's desire for his people. Not to love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's the cliche we have in our culture? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You don't spend much by just talking. Talking so easy but it might be worthless if it's not connected to actual real life actions, right? We all know what that's like. Talk doesn't cost you very much. A lot of people talk a big game. Actions tell the real story, right? Talk is cheap. Talk doesn't draw from your bank account right? But true love is expensive. True love is expensive. See Jesus on the cross. So expensive. But it's so good and it's so worth the price tag. May we be a church where our talk matches our walk and when it doesn't, we admit it. We ask for forgiveness and preach the gospel to ourselves and we move on. Right? Let me close with a a gospel reminder that I think is so important. I think many of us could be tempted to leave today with a heavy heart. And the heavy heart might say this, I'm not loving as I should. John's calling out to us that in light of our salvation, we should demonstrate that we know that, that we've received that by grace, and live in light of it. But, man, I'm not loving as I should. Well, yeah, like, join the club. Like, we're all in that camp to some degree, right? But here's the good news of Christianity. The gospel is for murderers, too, right? King David, murderer. Paul. Planted all these ancient churches. He wrote most of the New Testament. Probably complicit in more than one or two murders if he didn't do it himself. Peter stood by and denied Jesus as he's being murdered. And the gospel says, come to Jesus. Come as you are. He won't leave you as you are. You can come as you are, right? We come like the tax collector in Luke 18. that just simply beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says in that story, in that parable, that he went home justified. He went home made right with God simply by casting himself. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Simply by casting himself on the mercy of God, not trying to climb a ladder of good deeds, just casting himself on the mercy of God, not trying to earn it, not trying to prove it, just casting himself on the mercy of God. Jesus says, that's the one that goes home justified. That's the one that's made right with God. That's the one that can have assurance of salvation. Not because you got a a pile of good deeds to say, God, look at my good deeds, but you have got Jesus. And we say, look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. I'm going to trust that and not myself. Repentance from sin and trusting in Jesus to save you. We don't save ourselves. Trusting in Jesus alone. He will receive you joyfully in your repentance for not loving as you should. He will never cast you away when you come to him and say, God... God, I, I have not loved as I should. It's, it shows up in my marriage. It shows up in my parenting. It shows up in the neighborhood. It shows up at church. It shows up in my workplace. I cast myself on your mercy. And he says, that's why I died for, right? That's why I came. Come, come and see the grace of God. Be changed by the grace of God. Be indwelled by the Holy Spirit that will change you from one degree of glory to the next as a child of God. And so when you do that, over time, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, when you come to Jesus like that, it causes you to want to lay down your selfishness, to want to lay down your bitterness and division that leads to hatred. And when we observe this in our lives, this, this changing of our spiritual taste buds, it leads to our assurance of salvation. So we keep returning to the truth of the gospel to save us over and over again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word, and we do ask that you would help us. May we be a church where the onlooking world does sit up and notice that we are unique because we're willing to sacrifice for one another. Our love is genuine, our love is beautiful, and Lord, we want to be quick to repent where we fail and just own it. And knowing that your forgiveness of us allows us to own it, to be honest about it, and to walk in in, in, in the light. Um, Lord, thank you for your promises. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Yes, great question. Um, I anticipated this question. Why does verse 14 specify, and all over the text, that this is about loving the brothers, which we've interpreted as, which I've interpreted uh, as the church? Why is this concept not inclusive of non-Christians, and how does this concept apply to our love for them? Well, the reason why um, John is, writing in the way that he does. The first thought I have is because he's writing in a different context. In the ancient context, um, it wasn't necessarily easy to be a Christian. Most Christians, like in, in the ancient world, there wasn't like a middle class like we have in, in like modern United States. It was basically, the very wealthy, and then everyone else was basically poor. I mean, for the most part, that was the ancient world. In addition to that, Christians are marginalized, right? And they're like this weird religion that people have not come, like, Christianity is normal in our culture, right? Back then it wasn't normal. In addition, there's false teaching that Paul addresses that we've looked at. So there's all this pressure on the church, When there's a community that's under intense pressure, what's most important? Unity. And how's unity established? It's established through loving relationships, first and foremost. So that's why Paul, or sorry, why John is so excited and so motivated to say, guys, we have to love one another. We have to love one another. Because there's so much pressure. There's persecution. There's false teaching. There's being on the margins because we're weird as Christians. And so, like, when he says, if you see a brother in need, a brother or sister in the family of God in need, and you don't help them, like, that's really, really bad because there would have been a lot of people in need. Like, in our modern culture, like, at least in this church, we don't have a lot of people in abject poverty. We don't have a lot of people with food insecurity. Like I know most of you, right? You come in with a pair of shoes on, you drive here in a car. Now there's some that that might have some of that, but it's kind of rare. But in the ancient church, it wouldn't have been. And so it's harder for us to like live this out, I think some ways, because a difference in, in economics between the ancient world and us today, you with me? And so... You know, there's lots of Bible that will talk about being good to those outside of the family of God, but that's just not the text for this morning. He's talking, anytime in the epistles in the New Testament when you see brother or sister, he's talking about the family of God, not just like brotherhood of humanity, he's talking about the church, okay? So there's that one. Let's see. Great question. How do we reconcile selflessly loving others with our quote self-care culture? Balancing burning out through pouring ourselves out too quickly with being stingy with our love. Let's see. Balancing burning out through through pouring ourselves out too quickly that with uh, maybe another hand being stingy with our love is is hard. Dude, welcome to ministry. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's one of the tensions that the Holy Spirit just lives in, right? So I hit the wall with anxiety and depression about uh, seven, eight years ago. And one of the things that my counselor that was helping me through that, because um, I was probably either things were going to need to change or I was going to have to resign, um, just because I was having a hard time functioning normally. One of the things my counselor said is you're going to have to change your pace you're going to have to change the things that you do um, because you're just going to burn out. Now, you can, he said, he, I'll never forget. he said you can be a flash in the pan if you want and like go, go, go out guns blazing in ministry, but you're probably only going to have a year or two left before this thing will just continue to get worse and worse. And it will escalate from there. Or you can make some changes and be in it for the long haul. So how do you know when it's time to, here's how it is for me. I have a day off. I'm very strict about my day off. I don't look at Slack on my day off. I don't even have Slack on my phone um, other than Sunday morning to read these questions. Um, Very strict with my day off. So let's do some thought experiments. When there is a miscarriage and one of of you guys or a couple here is devastated by that, Is that time for me to be like, oh, day off, sorry. No, it's not. Like, I will break my day off for you for a lot of reasons. Because I love you as a pastor. Um, There are other things where it's like, it's not a true emergency, and it can wait. No one's going to die. No one's going to be deeply offended if it waits 24 hours. Ultimately, I think the Holy Spirit lives in this space. When do I sacrifice and pour myself out? And when do I have boundaries for the sake of health long term? And it's probably going to be on a case-by-case basis. It's probably going to be having something to do with how you're doing emotionally in the moment. Um, I feel like most of us probably are not erring too much on the side of like, I'm giving myself so much that I'm burning out. Some of you are. Some of you are, I know you are, but probably not most of us. So you have to do some self-assessment. Like, where am I falling on this scale? Am I being kind of selfish or am i am being too selfless to the point where my marriage is suffering, my, my parenting is suffering? Like, that's one of the things that, like, you should look at as elders. Like, if, if, if ministry is my mistress, that means I'm disqualified. That's what the Bible says. I'm not, I'm not managing my family well. So sometimes for some of us, it's going to take some feedback from people that know you, that know, that know the Bible, that are, that are willing to tell you the truth to help you discern, right? And that's where the, the community, the loving family of God comes in. Where we tell each other the truth, like, help me figure this out, man. Is this a time to, to lay it down or is this, is this a time to break my day off or is this not? I mean, that's maybe an example for me in a thousand different ones. If I do this, am I going to go crazy? If I keep doing this over the course of the next six months, if this pattern doesn't change, am I going to go crazy? Or is this exactly what I'm supposed to be doing for the sake of love? I don't know. I need you guys' help. I need my wife's help. I need the other elders' help. I need you guys' help. And you guys are going to be in the same position. So there's no black and white math formula for this answer. But asking the question is indicative that you want to head in the direction of health. And that's a really good question. It's a really good thing. You with me? All right. Um, let's continue with the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to invite James up to lead us in that.